One of the great challenges in life has to do with establishing proper priorities. In establishing priorities, we must understand what is most important, and we must also have confidence that God will enable us to accomplish what God has called us to do. Two weeks ago, we were in 1 Kings chapter 5, and we learned that Solomon was well aware that God had wanted him to build a temple. Furthermore, Solomon also understood that it was the right time for the temple work to begin. So Solomon established the building of the temple as a priority in his kingship. I sent out an email, hopefully you got it, asking you to read an awful lot of scripture in preparation for this message, both in 1 Kings and also in the book of Haggai, because I'm going to be taking a, a large view of this temple construction and emphasizing what we learn about priorities in relationship to that temple construction. And I believe that Haggai will shed a lot of light on the passages that are before us. So in 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, it reads, Solomon said, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to David my father, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. So David knows that God had placed him on the throne with the intent that David would build a temple for God. So Solomon makes that a priority. And our theme this morning is lessons from Solomon's making building the temple a priority. Lessons from Solomon's making the building of the temple a priority. We begin by noting that Solomon made building the temple a priority by undertaking the work in the very early years of his kingship. If you look with me at 1 Kings chapter 6 at verse 1, it reads, And the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. The first time reference in this verse has to do with the Exodus. Verse 1, in the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. There is a reckoning of time from the time of the Exodus to the time of the building of the temple. The Exodus was a defining moment in Israel's history. It looms large in the overarching framework of the nation of Israel. And it is referenced time and time again. God had promised in the Exodus to bring the children of Israel into a land that is flowing with milk and honey and that he would give them rest. He also said that he would be with them and he would establish his name there and they would worship him. So now God has done what he had promised so now it was time for the temple to be built. The building of the temple was the second most significant event 
in Israel's history. Thus, the importance of the building of the temple is in the narration of this scripture passage. The second time reference as to when the temple was built has to do with Solomon's reign. And we find out that the temple was built in the very early years of Solomon's reign, verse 1, for it says in the middle of that verse, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel. The time reference to Solomon's reign is then repeated in verses 37 and 38, 1 Kings 6:37. In the month, in the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. The fourth year referring to the fourth year of Solomon's reign. Thus, Solomon did not procrastinate or put it off. And even in those earlier years, even though it was in the fourth year, in the first three years, there was preparation. And the groundbreaking takes place in the fourth year, if you will. Then we find out that the temple was completed in seven years, verse 38. In the eleventh month, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its parts, and according to all its specifications. And then these words, he was seven years in building it. So this temple construction required seven years. And I hope that you read those intervening portions of Scripture because it required a great deal of work, a great deal of manpower, a great deal of resources in order to build this magnificent temple in seven years. However, the furnishings of the temple were not completed at that point. The making of the furnishings is described in 1 Kings chapter 7, verses 13 to 51. And in verse 51, we have a note that that was completed. 1 Kings 7, 51. Thus all the work that Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. So now we have the, the final picture of the temple being built and then it being furnished. Secondly, I want us to note that not only did Solomon make building the temple a priority by doing it very early in his kingship, Solomon made the building of the temple a priority over building his own house. For if you look with me at chapter 7, verse 1, we have an important interruption, if you will, to the narrative of the temple construction. It almost seems out of place, and in some ways it is out of place, but there is a contrast that is drawn. If you look with me at 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 1, it reads, Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished his entire house. So we need to ask the question, what are we to understand by that verse, and why is it here? For it stands in contrast to chapter 6, the end verse, that says that the temple was seven years in construction, and Solomon spent 13 years on his own house. 
Some commentators have concluded that Solomon's house was much more important to Solomon than was God's house. That his taking twice as long in building his own house shows how much more important his own house was to Solomon than the building of the temple. The idea that the fact that he would spend twice as long almost shows that he had a greater love and affinity for the project regarding his own palace than he did the temple. Well, if chapter 7, verse 1 is all that we had to go on, we might readily come to that conclusion, and I must admit to you that years ago, I kind of fell into that uh, camp myself until I spent more time in the scriptures and, and came to realize that I don't think that's what that verse is saying. Chapter 7, verse 1 makes no comment about the significance of it. It just says, states a fact, seven years in building the temple, 13 years in building his own house, and we're left to know, well, why is that there and what's the point? So I want to say to you this morning, there are some important things for us to consider as we consider Solomon's priorities. I think that just the opposite is true, that the building of his own house in 13 years is not a demonstration that the, his own house was more important than the temple, but rather it's demonstrating that the temple was more important than his house. Let me unpack that for you. First and foremost, we must keep in mind that the temple was built before Solomon built his own house. The temple was built before Solomon built his own palace. The projects were not completed simultaneously. Solomon started building his house after the temple was completed. We know that from 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 10. You don't need to turn there. Let me just read it to you. At the end of 20 years, 20 years, 13, excuse me, seven years building the temple, 13 years building the palace. At the end of 20 years, in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. So the reference to 20 years that we have to take the years of building the temple and the building of Solomon's house, we must understand them as consecutive, not simultaneous. For the 13 and the 7 add up to the 20. So Solomon spent seven years on the temple, and when that's done, then he enters into the work on his own palace 13 years in duration. This shows us that the temple took priority. He did that first. It was undertaken, finished, and then he began his own palace. So what is the significance of that? Why is that something that we should consider? Why does the Bible put it in there at that particular point? Well, I believe that there are some significant lessons that, we can be, that can be learned concerning priorities as we compare the events surrounding the building of the second temple with Solomon's building the first temple. Now we need some background. Solomon's temple that we just have talked about was destroyed 
in 586 BC. The children of Israel were carried off into captivity by the Babylonians, and they remained there for 70 years. After that, the Israelites returned to Jerusalem, and the temple was in the process of being rebuilt. Then the building of the second temple comes to a halt, and the prophet Haggai is raised up by God to challenge the people to finish the rebuilding of the temple. So now we draw our attention to the book of Haggai, and uh, I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, It's in the Minor Prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the third last book of the Old Testament. Only two chapters. Hope you had an opportunity to to look at this. But uh, I believe what is said here sheds a great deal of light on the first temple. This is the building of the second temple. Book of Haggai. <clears throat> so now we turn our attention to the book of Haggai, which forms us to the events surrounding the building of the second temple. And in particular, the narrative stresses the importance of priority, and that is of putting God first. As the book opens, the people did not believe that it was the right time to rebuild the temple, starting at verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of the Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Here's the significance. These people say, the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So they've left off, they've quit the work, and they said, now's not the time to be building the temple. We find out that people had their priorities messed up, for the people were more concerned with building their own homes than they were with building the temple. Notice verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, and this is what he said. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies in ruins. You see, they said the time was not right. Now is not the time to build the temple. So the prophet says, is it time for you to be dwelling in your own paneled houses while the temple lies in ruins? Is that the right priority to have? So the people were to contemplate the situation in which they found themselves, namely their lack of resources. Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. Now therefore, the Lord of hosts says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Stop and think for a moment about your situation, the prophet says. All their hard work and efforts were coming to nothing. They were being frustrated. If you look at verses 6 and 7, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, 
but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So all of their effort, all of their hard work, all of their resources are just being consumed. And they have nothing to show for it. Now verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So here's the this exact same words in verse 5 and in verse 7. Stop and consider your situation. Think about it. Think about it. The people were to build the temple to the glory of God. Verse 8, go up to the hills, bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Their trust and obedience in building the temple was key to their glorifying God. They needed to trust in God. They needed to believe that God would provide. They needed to put God first in their priorities. They needed to understand that the Lord had been frustrating their work to this point. It was of God that they were poor and they were hungry. If you look at verse 9, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, key words, I blew it away. I blew it away. This is God speaking. I got rid of it. You brought it home, but it was gone. And I was the one who did that. I was the one who took these things away from you. The question was, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Middle of verse 9. Why? Why? Why did God frustrate their plans? Why did God cause their money to be put in pockets with holes? Why were they frustrated in their labors? Why, declares the Lord of hosts. That is what they were to consider. The significance of their plight. What was the cause? Was it bad luck? Was it, well, that's just the way life is? Or was there significance to their experience? The reason that God did not prosper the people was because they did not make the temple a priority. Look at verse 9. It's stated specifically. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. That's why. That's why you have nothing. That's why all your work and all your effort is meaningless. Because you put your house before my house. You have the wrong priorities. You're trusting in your own provision rather than mine. They were misusing their resources. So God was frustrating their plans as opposed to blessing them. They thought that there was no way for them to build a temple. They said, now's not the time. 
We don't have anything. And God says, stop and consider why you don't have anything. Is it because I can't provide? No. It's because you've got the wrong priorities. It's because you are not seeking after my things. You're seeking after your own. They thought there was no way they could build a temple. They did not even have the resources to build their own homes. But if they had put God first, they would not only have the resources to build the temple, but they would have the resources to build their home. Seven, consequently, God was not providing for his people because they were misusing their resources by failing to trust in God and to be obedient to him. If they would trust God, he would provide. Haggai 1, 10, and 11. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. That's why your crops aren't producing. And I have called for a drought on the land, in the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and all their labors. That's why your crops aren't growing. That's why you don't have anything to buy or sell. That's why you don't have food. For God would provide the resources to build if they would but trust in him. Well, the people repent and they build, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And so the second temple is built. Well, how does that narrative inform our understanding of the first temple? How does it inform the activity of Solomon and his priorities? And in particular, this, this concept that the temple was seven years in building and his own home was 13 years in building. Well, first of all, God had promised to be with Solomon and his people if they made following him a priority. Now, if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 6, we're done with Haggai, so we're back to 1 Kings chapter 6. You turn back there. I should have told you to keep your finger there. Hope you did. 1 Kings chapter 6. Verse 11. Word of the Lord comes to Solomon in the very beginning stages of this building project. Verse 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. 
Therefore, based on God's promise, Solomon not only started, but finished the temple. Verse 14, so Solomon built the house and finished it. The so refers to God's promise. What God had said, I will be with you. I will establish you. You will be fine. God, we find out, will richly bless Solomon and those riches will be used to build the temple. The, the temple was truly magnificent. The temple required a great deal of labor, which is described in 1 Kings chapter 5, and resources to complete it. It took a great deal of skill, manpower, and wealth for the temple to be built. And this morning, I'm just going to focus on the wealth. And I'm not going to talk about all the precious stones and how costly that was. I'm going to focus this morning just on the gold, just on the gold that's associated with the temple. To illustrate how costly the temple was, starting at verse Kings chapter 6, verse 15. 1 Kings 6.15 He lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar from the floor of the house to the walls of the ceiling. He covered them on the inside with wood and he covered the floor on the house with boards of cypress. He built 20 cubits of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the walls. And he built this within an inner sanctuary as the most holy place. The house, that is, the nave in front of the inner sanctuary, was 40 cubits long. The cedar within the house was carved in the form of gourds and open flowers. All was cedar. No stone was seen. The inner sanctuary he prepared in the innermost part of the house to set there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Verse 20, the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high, and a cubit was approximately 39 inches. Now these words. And he overlaid it with gold. He also overlaid an altar of cedar. And Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold. And he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. Let me also just mention as an aside as you think about this magnificence and you think about all this gold, to this point we're talking about the, the inner house, we're talking about the Holy of Holies, which meant no one but the high priest would ever see that. All this money is being spent. All this effort is going forth and no one is even going to see it. Just the high priest and God. We live in a day and age which everything is utilitarian. And people are always so concerned about spending any money that isn't quote-unquote useful. But here, this temple is being built with this magnificence that no one is even going to see. Moving on, verse 22. And he overlaid the whole house with gold. 
until all the house was finished and the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary who overlaid with gold. Now verse 23. In the inner sanctuary, this is the holiest of holies, he made two cherubim of olive wood with ten cubits high, five cubits for the length of the one of the cherub, the five cubits of the length of the other wing of the cherub. It was ten cubits from the tip of the one wing to the tip of the other. The other cherub also measured ten cubits, both cherubim and the same measure and the same form. The height of the one cherub was ten cubits, and so was that of the other cherub. He put the cherubim in the innermost part of the house, and the wings of the cherubim were spread out so that a wing of one touched the one wall, and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. Their own wings touched each other in the middle of the house. Verse 28, and he overlaid the cherubim with gold. So these were these huge angelic representations. Overlaid them all with pure gold. Verse 29, Around all the walls of the house, he carved engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and the outer rooms. So now, some of these areas people will have access to. Some of these areas people will see. Verse 30, the floor of the house he overlaid with gold in the inner and the outer rooms. So not just the Holy of Holies, but now... All this court area, everything, all the floors are overlaid with gold. Can you imagine? We spent a lot of time debating what floor to put into the uh, new building. And part of it just had to do with cost. How, how much money are you going to spend on the floor in an all-purpose room? Here, pure gold over everything. Verse 31. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood. The lintel and doorposts were four-sided, five-sided. He covered the two doors of olive wood with the carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. Here it is again. He overlaid them with gold and spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So also he made for the entrance of the nave doorposts of olive wood in the form of a square. Two doors of cypress wood. The two leaves of the one door were folding and the two leaves of the other door were folding. On them he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers and he overlaid them with gold, evenly applied on the carved work. He built the inner court with three courses of cut stone and one course of cedar beams. In the fourth year, the foundation of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv, verse 38. And in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its parts, and according to all its specifications, he was seven years in building it. Now, as you read that account, you realize that there was just an incredible amount of time, effort, and priority put into that, that temple. And I just want you to think about all the gold not even the other stuff, just all the gold that went into building that temple. Now remember that Solomon starts his house after that's completed. First Kings chapter 9, verse 10, at the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. So the temple had the priority. 
I'm not going to read all about Solomon's palace. That too is magnificent. That too is incredible. That too is breathtaking. But I would submit to you that the reason it takes twice as long is because it didn't have the same amount of resources in terms of manpower, et cetera, et cetera, that were spent on the temple, that were spent on his palace. So I tend to make that statement positive. But I really don't want to get into a big argument over that because it isn't really that significant except for this point. It is the obvious which can easily be ignored. It's what should be extremely apparent but can easily be put aside. And that is how in the world after building that temple with all the gold that we just described. How did Solomon have anything left to build such a magnificent palace? Where did that money come from? Where did that gold come from? How was Solomon able to build the palace that he built? The answer is, God provided that wealth. God blessed the efforts of Solomon. It is the exact opposite of what takes place in the book of Haggai. In the book of Haggai, they're so concerned about building their own house, they don't have anything. They can't build the temple, and they can't build their house. But Solomon is concerned with doing what God had told him to do, is build the temple. And God tells him that he will provide, and he does, and abundantly. And not only does he supply enough for the house, he supplies enough for Solomon's house. It's the direct antithesis to the book of Haggai. And it's a great antithesis to the priorities. The big takeaway this morning is that one does not miss out in making God a priority in their lives. He who will lose his own life shall save it, and he who will save his life shall lose it. And trying to watch out for yourself you mess up in trying to fulfill and accomplish the will of God, you succeed. Peter asked Jesus this question. Peter said, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, 
or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. We need to put God first in our lives. And we do not need to be fearful in so doing. For God has promised to watch over us and protect us. In the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us a lesson and even appeals to Solomon in that lesson. So just listen. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap in, or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, they seek after these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you have need of them all. God is not oblivious to our needs. He's not unaware of the fact that we need to eat, we need to have clothes, we have places to live. Matthew 6.33 very famous verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. The only thing you need to worry about is putting God first. Trusting in Him. Believing that He will provide. And as you put God first, He provides. He provides. When we don't put God first, oftentimes it goes hard. So the conclusion is simply these thoughts. First is accomplishing the will of God your highest priority. Out of all your desires, of all your ambitions, out of all your goals, as you are laying out what it is that you're going to give your time and your efforts to. Where does achieving God's purpose in your life fit? I want to assure you this morning that you will not miss out by making God the first priority in your life. That is not living life with reckless abandon. <laughs> That's a recognition of who is the great provider, who is the great overseer, who is the great protector. God can take better care of us than we can care for ourselves.
We must trust that God will and does provide. Life is more than just our own hard work and effort that brings about success. Success is accomplished through God's enablement and God's grace. God enabled Solomon in the very beginning, in the very beginning, in the fourth year of his reign. And it's so easy to lose perspective on, because we read in Kings and we see how incredibly rich Solomon becomes and, and we know about all this money that's being given by Hiram and all these other things. Remember, this is in the beginning. This is in the beginning. David has created quite a store, so he doesn't start out with nothing. But there's a lot of faith that is going into this project. And he's believing that at the end, when it's all said and done, he'll be able to establish his kingdom also. He'll be able to have his palace and all these things. It is God's enablement and God's provision that causes our work to prosper. There are so many ramifications. Tithing, are we able to tithe? Are we unable to tithe? As we wrestle with issues of time, resources, monies, gifts, What are our priorities? Are we trusting that God will take care of us? And the most important thing is simply doing what he would have us to do. And in so doing, he will meet our needs. It's a magnificent temple. And God is faithful. And God provides. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us. Help us to know what you would have us to do. And Lord, when we know what you would have us to do, guard us from saying now is not the time. Now is not the time. Lord, if you are leading us, if you are directing us, if you have shown us what we are to do, then Lord, may we with Solomon say, now is the time. Now is the time. Not to put it off, not to procrastinate. But acknowledge that now is the time. If you're leading, if you're directing, then Lord, let us step forth in faith. And Lord, we thank you for your promises. And help us, help us to believe, help us to trust. Help us to see that you are the one who, holds, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. Lord, may we understand that you watch over, you provide, you care. We're not talking about living recklessly. We are talking about doing that which you have clearly shown us we're to do. 
So, Lord, help us to step out in faith and do it and be amazed at how you work. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.